0818 Oliver Callan on RTE Radio 1. Now, a warm welcome to the studio to uh, writer Rushing Maguire. Good morning to you. Uh, author for our chat today, uh, having come from a varied background, I believe. Worked as a bouncer, a bus driver. Um, you had a job in your family's road markings company. Oh, yeah. Also a job as a mammy, football coach along the way, uh, scuba diving, and now an author. So welcome. Well, you've been writing for some time. I have. I've been writing for a long time. Mm. I just believe that we've only got the one life, so we have to fill it with as much as we can. Yeah, I was thinking about 300 years would be the perfect <laughs> amount. I'll not be finished. I don't know about you, Oliver, but I'll even. not be finished by the time I get there, you know. Uh, the novel's called Night Swimmers, uh, Rasheen, and it's a gorgeous thing. I only discovered, is it Ballyhornan? Is that how you pronounce the place? Absolutely right. In, in County Down? Yep, a very so, well-kept secret. One of the most beautiful places on earth. Until now. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we're going to win. You've fictionalised it as Bally Brady. I've been to this beach. This is a, a stunning um, beach. I saw it in, in lockdown, believe Absolutely. it or not. Oh, were you there um, too? I think the whole world came to Ballyhorn yeah, in there was lockdown. nobody there when we went up there now in the summer of 2020 when we were able to move around about the place. And as we discovered, the North had different rules to uh, Yes, so, <laughs> you <laughs> discovered that. place. That's where you've said it. Is it this is home. Ballyhorn. This is home. Home all my life. I'm one of these people that don't move very far. Maybe born and bred maybe six or seven miles down the road. <laughs> Met my husband who lived nine miles down the road. Is that right? Yeah, and we've uh, lived there ever since. The children can't wait to get out of it. Kids are like Always that. Always the way. <laughs> They'll be dying to come back then. Absolutely, yes indeed. Uh, you even sound like someone who's lived looking out into the sea in a nice, quiet, calm existence. Is that right? I well, know. I like to have a calm existence after the manic things that I tend to get up to. <laughs> it's lovely to come back and find some peace. I think that's where Grace was. She'd been away over this in the England. the character in the novel. That's right, the protagonist in the novel, Grace. She's an older woman. People haven't been kind to her, Oliver, so she's pulled back, withdrawn, looked out to the sea. Then the pandemic struck, the same as everyone else forced into relationships, connections that she wouldn't otherwise have enjoyed. So Ironically, because of course she's on her own, but she's thrust into uh, the townie who comes down Absolutely. from the city yes. and uh, ruins her lovely... Just before we get into the actual story, I mean, when you told the publisher you want to set a novel in lockdown, they must have looked at you and said... Rushing, you're mad. At the time, absolutely. A lot of difficulty in, in the setting and the look, you know, the time. But then when you think back to war stories, war film, very close to the time, that would have been a difficult subject to approach. Good but point. now coming out of lockdown, people are interested again. It's There's almost a safe distance. I know for a lot of people, it was a time of profound loss, profound change, just the same as my characters found in Night Swimmers. But after a while, there's an interest there because everyone's lives changed mm. and they've changed and stayed changed. And the folk in the, in the novel, I suppose, just exemplify what we all went through. We all had to sort of adapt and like it or not, things will never be the same again. I mean, I approached it thinking, I don't want to read about lockdown. This is, uh, but it's, it's set in such a beautiful place. That's right, yes. And then I was able to kind of feel as though, no, this all happened to other people. Now. A little bit of a distance to it, Yeah, perhaps. like your war thing that you're talking about. Absolutely. This didn't happen to us, it happened to someone else. Uh, so the location is important. Could, can you describe Ballyhorn and that whole, whole area to us? Because it's important to the story. Sure, yes. It's a, a wonderful uh, East Coast location. Mm. It is um, sheltered to a certain extent. The Isle of Man you've got that you can see out on a lovely morning and uh, we have an island just in front. You may remember that, Oliver, yes, from your walk. Yes, that's why I thought it was so lovely and calm. Absolutely. Yeah. Guns Island where 52 
pirates were sunk many hundreds of years ago and loads of guns buried. So that's the lore anyway, whether it's true or not. Absolutely And the Isle of Man seems very close. It does. It seems closer than it is. Freakishly close. Difficult to get to it. (laughs) Yeah, wouldn't fancy that, I'm sure. Yes. Grace would swim to it though. She'd love to have done. I just love the way she took the water as a form of healing. I think that was the important (laughs) thing. You know, she was always in the water and I think nowadays with with the growth in interest in outdoor swimming... Men, women and children all jumping into the tide. Yeah. <laughs> it's but a very sort of irrelevant thing. She's no fan of these uh, townies who come down in their dry robes swimming. I think she's like everyone else. Everyone who has something that they love wants to keep it to their own selves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the sad lesson Grace has to learn in Night Swimmers is that the world belongs to everybody. Mm-hmm. Nature belongs to everybody and everyone should be able to access it. And I think that's a real message from the pandemic, the importance of getting into nature. You'll know that yourself if you've been to Ballyhorn and all those beautiful places. It's for everyone. It should be honoured by everyone. And the more our children enjoy it and experience it, the more they'll cherish and look after it. Because I want to know Ballyhorn and still there being looked after by my granddaughter, Nula, when she's my age. And it's quite a rural setting, so it's... um there's obviously a shop here and there, isn't that so? There's an effort at a shop now and then, but unfortunately it doesn't thrive. In the novel, I give it an awful lot of business. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem to get the same amount in now, real life. Now, Grace isn't that old. She's she's about 50, I think. Is that she's Yes, that's described. right. There was a bit of tweaking to be done. In Night Swimmers, Grace is 50. She started off about 60 odd. And the whole writing process, you'll probably know yourself, is about finding what the characters want to do. Oh, so she de-aged along the way. She de-aged. I and wish I could. She's a bit of an oddball. In, she's seen as an oddball in the area. Yes, and I think uh, that's one of the strong points of her. You know, she is, she's refusing to be what everyone expects her to be, to be mm. quiet. There's a lovely quote, Dr. Sharon Black, he says, there's a perverse beauty as well as a sense of rightness in refusing to be quiet and diminish. So she's doing that. She's refusing to be quiet and diminish. Yes. She's being her own self. Until, like, the pandemic happened to us all, She's thrust into relationships. We can't live on our own. She's kind of a sweary Huckleberry Finn character. Absolutely. Don't you like it? <laughs> kind of, uh, it's being translated clothes. into the German and I don't know how they're going to manage with oh, some they love of it. it. <laughs> yeah, because of the naked swimming. The Germans, yeah. Germans will be mad for it. Go for it. Well, you've dropped one there. She definitely does go naked <laughs> swimming, the naughty woman. Shouldn't be at it. That's the night swimming uh, element the of the whole swimming. thing. Yeah. Uh, so who does she come into contact then? She comes into contact with Evan, who's a townie with a past. He is suffering from family tragedy and he too feels he has to separate. And it's the whole idea of the separation that happened in pandemic, the the liminality of being adrift between one life and the next, almost like a bardo, you know, like a an in-between space. And the bardo. two of them connect, yin and yang, and their little, and Evan's little son as well, um, who has his own quirks and become a more, I suppose, cohesive unit because of their separation in the past, their distance from people. It's a story about humanity, how we can't live on our, on our own. We think yeah. we have it sorted. Grace did, and uh, she certainly didn't. And the local villagers who um, don't seem to do social distancing very well at all. It's a hoot, yes, and I know. the pub that never really closed. Yes, yes. I don't know how many listeners will be familiar with some of those things that happened, but um, I just thought, you know, let's tell it the way people experienced it where I was. Not necessarily yes, okay. directly where yeah. I was, but in lots of rural areas, there were different perceptions. 
We were made to make it up as we went along, essentially, to yeah. a great extent, weren't we? Well, the, the rules seemed to be for cities, didn't they? And suddenly you're going, but I'm out here on my own and I, should, I couldn't be more socially distant. If I tried, absolutely. I'm <laughs> standing on an island. <laughs> Miles away from anyone. But again, these are the subjects I'm kind of thinking, do we really want to have those? Do we want to have that consideration again? Um, you, you didn't always write, as we mentioned at the start, you've had multiple jobs. I've right? had a lot of jobs. I yeah. think, as I say, life is there to be filled, Oliver. But I wrote a lot until children came along and lots of people will probably empathise. They mm. take all your creative juices. You have 20 <laughs> years or so to raise them. And then I had the chance again. But your first child came along when you were young yourself. Yes, I was a single parent, uh, 18 years old in Belfast. We used to cycle around. Belfast I would have been at university and then I actually progressed to a motorbike and we got a little oh, really? sissy rack on the back and my two-year-old when I look back now when I think what did I do you're really cool we slipped about Belfast it was some crack did you have to leave Belfast when you became pregnant I did yes I had to go over to Carlisle in those days it wasn't the done thing don't know if it's no. the done thing now to be honest but I did ah, we were much better at that for ah, but sure. it, it opens your your eyes I'd never been to Carlisle lovely spot and what did you discover there as a your teenage mum? I was, yes. They they made us do Meals on Wheels. If you remember, that used to be a wee van that went around for old people. So who made you do? The people that put us up. A single parents, you see, when okay. you were homeless or you hadn't somewhere to live, this organisation, Life, took okay. you, put you in a safe home and give you employment, gainful employment. So this wasn't a religious No, no, thing? no, okay. no. It was just, I suppose, born out of necessity. Yeah. But a and fantastic experience, you. yeah. And, and your child, you were able to... Yes, absolutely. No, I came back when the baby was born. She's fantastic now. She's 34 and a wonderful woman altogether. But yeah, um, everything I've done so far and uh, everything I plan to do is all going to be part of the essence of one life. You've got to get it all in there. Oh, you've really lived one well, <laughs> already. They call me either a free spirit or a loose cannon. Yeah. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> so when you come out of college, do you, do you go into the family business? When I came out of college, I taught. I taught in one of the you, first okay. integrated primary schools in Northern Ireland. Is that right? Yes. And what year are we talking Influence on dancing in the playground and not sticking to the curriculum. Fantastic fun. Oh, so you were one of the sort of hippie teachers. I think I was. I don't yeah. realise, I didn't realise it at the time and I had quite an aversion to green wellies. But now I think, you know, I'm definitely there. The older I get, the more I realise what I resisted was actually an indication of who I really was. <laughs> what, what year was the integrated school? This is one of the first you said. in the in Yes, the Cedar. We shout out to Cedar Integrated oh. School in Crossgar in Northern Ireland, yes. And it was just, obviously everyone thought this is a mad idea, it's not going to work. You've got two cultures clashing. By the time we, uh, I started, yeah, we only had, I think, a handful of pupils. We'd only maybe 30. Right. Yeah, but now it's a wonderful school, expanded and, as they all have, a very, very important change in Northern Ireland. If only the entire education system was integrated like that, we might have... We might have a, a, a look quicker. forward. Yeah, yes, we have. But we have the children coming out of those integrated schools and bringing those very that good ethos point. forward. I like your optimism altogether. Uh, your philosophy in life is just give everything a lash. Is the, that seems to be the absolutely as so long as you're not hurting anybody else. I think <laughs> that's, that's important. <laughs> important Everything's acceptable if it doesn't hurt anyone else. Um, so, so you come out of school. You're, you're a school teacher. You stick at that for a, how long? Are I you? did. My son got ill, unfortunately, so I was forced to leave teaching. And by the time he'd recovered. And he did very well. He was quite sick. He, yes, he had cancer. He was diagnosed with cancer when he was just very little. And the, the thing is that you move in with your child into the, the cancer centre. Right. The wonderful Royal Cancer Centre saved his life. He's now on a, on a boat out in the North Sea. He's in the Serious. Merchant Navy, living life to the full, but unfortunately scuppered my teaching career. <laughs> 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 but it meant I was free to go and do something else. So, yeah. 
That's a wonderful story. So he's in his 20s now. Yes, he is. He's in his 20s and discovering life for himself. And the last photograph we had of him were towering waves in a tiny boat. So I don't want to know how he's doing today in that rain and wind. <laughs> I think I hope he's all right. Because rushing and you're not never held back. So your teaching career is scuppered. But you go back to work? I did. I went back to work, as you say, in the family business. Yes. And uh, I think you learn an awful lot from working with your family rather than living with them. <laughs> what do you find out? You get the corners knocked off a fair bit. You get away with more as a family member than you do as an employee. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what do the family business do? We put, and we still do, put uh, white lines down on the road. The things that keep you safe <laughs> if you're a cyclist or um, a motorbiker from Very everybody. important. Yeah, they were always very good at that in the north. We looked enviously from the south. Yes, uh, well, you might, th- hopefully the ladies now at work again will change things and the roads will improve up there. We did go slightly downhill. Yes, literally there, but yeah, but yeah, and um, literally just the road markings, yes, not building roads. Just no, it's one of the one of the strangest jobs you can imagine having. I you know, it's one of those yes. things. Is there an actual industry for that? Yeah, yes, there is. So yeah, while I did that, I did other things on the side to keep me seeing. You know, lots and of the, because the roads have to be marked every couple of years, so you can absolutely going round like that. You yeah, go around. so you did that for a while. And what else have you done? I've done a fair bit of volunteering, working with children and things, mm. and I think that's where the inspiration for Luca out of Night Swimmers comes. He's this child, um, Evan's son, who has a hearing impairment Mm -hmm. and has to learn to live with that. And I think one of the parts of the story is very true to my experience as um, someone who worked with children with impairments is the parents think there's a perfect child on the way. Yes. And the child is born perfect, but not in the perfect way they imagined. It's just a different picture. And especially I find for dads in my own experience, they find it very hard to accept the fact that the child that arrived is in a slightly different package, just as perfect as any other child, but different to what they expected. So a lot of the story is about people deciding to change their minds about others instead of putting them in a pigeonhole and saying, this person should be like this. They say, actually, this person's exactly the way they are and that's the way they should be. You know what a beautiful way to, to consider it. It's really important. I think that's half the problem in Northern Ireland, in Dublin, everywhere. People tend to, especially with Facebook and so on, pigeonhole folks and judge them accordingly. Where everybody um, is their own unit. Everyone breaks out and does their own thing. And hey, why not? As I say, <laughs> it is. A, it's a lovely. So that's and there's grief in the book as well. How does that end up in in your novel? Grief to me was a huge part of the pandemic, and it was something I wrote the book against because my daughter, my younger daughter, was very anxious that the world was going to hell in a handcart. So the grief and the sorrow of all those numbers appearing on television, I decided to write a more, um, another side to it. The side that where the grief and the sadness and the misbehaving politicians was going on in one area, there was humanity, compassion, goodness, interaction there too. For her. I wrote the story yeah. for her essentially. And those things were doing battle the whole time, weren't the they? The whole time. But you remember how well we came up? It's the same as they say in the Second World War. People's humanity comes to the fore mm. when you're pushed to it. The world would have you imagine that folk are negative, self-seeking, consumerist, self-absorbed. And that's not actually the case. Research has shown when it comes to it, people are kind. And mm. kindness is the most important thing. It is a pity that we do remember misbehaving politicians and uh, the kind of nanny rules more so than all the kind of uh, street uh, events that were being organised, neighbours visiting each other. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I wrote Night Swimmers. I wanted to put something there on record that that wasn't always the way. What you see on the news, the loud bad stuff, isn't the only stuff. Mm. There's a really strong undercurrent of good, of happiness, of kindness, of community. 
Yeah. It just isn't as noisy. It doesn't sell as many newspapers. And I suppose the cultural products that have come out of lockdown have mostly focused on misbehaving politicians. I mean, I don't know how many docudramas there have been on uh, for Boris Johnson and so on uh, since then. This is the novel. The theme of that, the theme that you're speaking about is very much through this story. Yes, Night Swimmers is about looking on the positive side. If we decided to listen to everything we were told and take it all, we would be very depressed. And depression and anxiety is huge in the world today. So my take on it is, hey, Look around you at the small community near you. People are being people. They're not being machines. Everything is local. Everything even I think is local. Yes, well said, Oliver. Even yeah. those big world stories are local. Absolutely. Well, it's called Night uh, Swimmers. It's uh, it's out rushing Maguire. That's correct. Um, we wish you well with this story. Thank you very I much. think you've given us uh, a bit of a lift this morning. If we were, if anyone is feeling a little bit pessimistic about the state of the world, because you can, you can. You Tracy Chapman also helped. That was Didn't lovely this morning. Yes, yourself. Yeah. James and Claire says he's in floods of tears with Tracy Chapman on the radio. Oh, so how beautiful. <laughs> so uh, he maybe the, 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 you've made them laugh, <laughs> Tracy. Chapman made them cry early on. Nights where it was Roshi McGuire, it's out now. It's published by Serpent's Tale, all but good bookshops, maybe some crap ones as well, or a, an effort of a shop, as you're calling it, online as well. Roshi, thanks so much for coming in to us. My very pleasure. Good morning, and Sloan, we're going to take one last break. Oliver Callan on RTE Radio 1.